What's up, church planters and all you fans of church planting? My name is Jared Huntley, and I'm with my good friend Matt Hess. And you're listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by everyday church planters for the everyday church planter. Uh, This podcast isn't just for church planters. It's for anyone who loves church planting and wants to get in the trenches and advance the kingdom of God. Matt, what's up, man? Oh, man, what's going on? Uh, Not much. It's going good. Hey, listen, we've had all this cold weather. I'm about to go to Memphis, Tennessee. So am I, actually. To Memphis, Tennessee? Yeah, like a week after you leave. Oh, wow. I'm going to a wedding down there. That's right, Chandler McCase. Were you trying to rub it in or something? Because it didn't work. It did. It backfired right back, on me. Right back at you. Yeah. Chandler was for our listeners. Chandler was a uh, came up here with us and worked with us for about six months. Mm-hmm. And he's from our city li- church. He lived with me and Jen. Live with you and Jen. Yeah. He's like my adopted little son. <laughs> adopted little son. <laughs> Shout out Chandler. You're Jared's adopted little buddy. <laughs> yeah, man. So he's getting married to yeah. Grace, a great, great young woman. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. But I'm going down there. They asked me to do a D now. And uh, I, I thought, mean, I've always thought you should be a youth pastor, personally. <laughs> I think you yeah. missed your calling. Yeah, man. Like, I, I told my mentor, I said, um, hey, man, you, you know, am I the best D now speaker, really? <laughs> He's like, just preach the word, man. I was like, well, just that's, bring, all, I, that's bring, all I got. Bring the fire. You know, those youth are going to be like on the floor crying. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was so funny, man, because, you know, they send you like the information pack and stuff, like how to, and they suggested like, um, you know, like maybe like funny stories or like illustrations and like maybe a game or something. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, this is, <laughs> I don't know if you know yeah, you got I here. Think, I don't think I could ever do a Dino. You could do it, man. I don't. Your, well, Andy, St- I was your a, Andy Stanley the, illustrations would be spot on, bro. Okay. Right. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> yeah. I, for those listeners might not know that I actually was a youth pastor for two years and it was, wasn't the greatest fit, yeah. Um, but it was good. I learned a lot. Those so. kids got saved every Wednesday. Yeah, they did. <laughs> no, so I was big. I was like on a big Paul Washer kick back then. Too. Oh so, lord! So I let them have it on a regular oh, basis. Oh man, those those poor kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so hey guys, today we've got a special guest on. We've got Brad Briscoe joining yeah. us. Uh, Brad is one of the best thinkers out there in the church planning world today, in my opinion. Uh, He's the director of bivocational church planning for the North American Mission Board. Um, He holds a doctorate in the area of missional ecclesiology, so he's way smarter than we are. Absolutely. Uh, So uh, he's also the co-author of Missional Essentials, a 12-week small group study guide, uh, and several books, uh, a couple of which are free eBooks that you can pick up online, and I'm going to tell you guys how you can do that uh, a little bit later before the episode's over. Uh, and I'll also be, uh, sending you guys over to check out his blog, uh, where he regularly blogs missionalchurchnetwork.com. Brad, it's great to have you on with us today. Hey guys, it's very, very good to be with you. Excited to have this conversation. So Brad, as the director for bivocational church planning, uh, I know you're passionate about the importance of moving towards more co-vocational and bivocational church planting efforts in North America. So could you maybe start us off by describing the difference, first of all, between co-vocational and bivocational, and then maybe explain to our listeners why you think it's so important to encourage this type of church planning? Yeah, that's a good question, especially if someone hasn't uh, heard that word, co-vocation. It might sound kind of odd. Yeah. But um, so here, part of uh, kind of, I, I think we need to change the narrative around bivocational church planting. Mm. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is I think there's a bias, unfortunately, towards bivocational pastors and bivocational church planters. Even if we don't articulate this, I think most bivocational planters kind of hear these whispers of, you know, they're not really a full-time legit church planter. You know, people wonder, well, when are you, when's your church going to be big enough to support you financially? <laughs> yeah. Or when are you going to go to a, a more significant type of church? So I just think there's, there's too many guys that have chosen, um, kind of out of, out of necessity rather than it being their first option. And I, and I want to change that. I, I want us to talk about the benefits of bivocational church planting, which I think there are many wonderful benefits, but I also want to champion bivocational planters themselves. Mm. Uh, so they're encouraged and actually they become our heroes rather than, you know, some, some type of like second class church planter. But I think a key piece of changing the narrative or that bias is actually to change the language. So we actually coined kind of a new word, this co-vocation uh, or co-vocational church planting. So here, for me, here's the difference. Think about, uh, have you ever heard the word bifurcate? You know, yeah. to, to bifurcate something means to take one thing and divide it into two parts. Mm. Well, unfortunately, I think when we use the language of bivocational church planting, unfortunately, that's what we do. We compartmentalize or we bifurcate vocation or calling. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we'll have a planter that will do like, uh, work in the marketplace or the business world over here so they can do ministry over here. They mm -hmm. compartmentalize those two things. And I would argue that's not biblical. I mean, that's that's a sacred secular divide that shouldn't exist. Uh, I say all the time, if God reigns over all things, and he does, then all things are sacred. Mm -hmm. So we need to kind of blow up this, I think, very damaging dualistic view of things and it, that especially rears its ugly head in the way we understand vocation or, or calling or, or work is that we think some vocations are sacred and some vocations are secular. Mm -hmm. So I think by vocation, that language actually kind of gets in the way of what we want to accomplish. So the reason we use the word co-vocation, I'll, I'll often explain it like this. The, the prefix co, C-O, actually comes from a prefix, a Latin prefix com, C-O-M, which means to have in common. So think of words like co-labor, co-author, co co-pilot. It's about bringing two things into alignment or two things in, into, you know, together to have, they're, they're equal or there's, there's equality. So I want guys to think about how does their primary calling in the marketplace align with their calling to start a church? I don't want them to bifurcate those two things, but I want to help them see how can those two things come together. And then the last little thing I'll say about that is I still use the language, both bivo and covo, but here's a little nuance for me is a bivocational church planter is someone that, that, you know, is working in the marketplace, but they really see that work or that job as temporary. So their hope is that the church eventually gets to a point to where it can support them financially and they'll leave that job in the marketplace to focus full time on the church where a co-vocational church planter is someone that has a primary calling in the marketplace. In other words, they're a web designer or a school teacher or a doctor, and they know God has wired and gifted them to do that. But they also have a sense of a calling to start something. Hmm. So I want to help them see, you know, again, how can they align those two things together? So there's a little nuance there for me. Now, my hope is as we champion the benefits of bivocational planting and as we champion planters themselves, we'll actually have more and more bivocational church planters that decide to stay in the marketplace mm -hmm. and actually become 
what we might call co-vocational church planters. Mm. So I just think uh, that, you know, that's just a piece of what I think we all need to do to kind of change the narrative around bivocational church planning. Mm -hmm. That's so good, man. When I, when I think you're spot on with your, uh, just like with your uh, views on this, in my opinion, because when I, when I think of bivocational, you know, uh, growing up in places like Kansas and Oklahoma ministering in, in those places and stuff, you, when you think of bivocational, you typically think of like the older pastor that's maybe pastoring the country church and, you know, maybe he's retired. He used to be a full-time pastor and, or maybe he's got this side job or whatever. And that is definitely the ideology that those guys are not full-time real pastors because their church isn't big enough, which kind of leads me to this thought, Brad, you know, is it, and we're going to unpack this more in this interview, but is it more like to a gifting mindset? Because you said something there, the, the, the co-vocational uh, church planner, he, he might be the starter. Like I can start something. He might be a doctor. He might be a, an accountant or a school teacher or whatever, but he might be a starter. So when you, when you think of a bivocational pastor, a co-vocational pastor, do you nuance those giftings? Like we're going to talk about the APES model in just a little bit, but do you, do you think of like one being maybe a shepherd teacher type, one being more of an ape type, apostolic prophet evangelist type? Do you take all of that into account? Yeah, so I think you bring up a great point, Matt. I think when when we think about not planting so much, when we think of bivocational pastors, like you said, you painted a picture there that I think was is very accurate and true historically, um, and there and that's all good. I mean, I don't I don't want to diminish that, but I feel like my primary role is not really to focus on bivocational pastoring, but to focus on bivocational church planting. Mm. So so and what I mean by that is uh, because of that, I think where we can kind of like, um, I don't know, just activate all the people of God is with this language as a co-vocation. I just think we have, there are thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people sitting in our congregations that have a primary calling in the marketplace, and they've never even considered the thought that they could also start a church. They could also start something in their neighborhood or in their workplace. Yeah. So I think to do that, though, I think you bring up a good point. Uh, most of the time, those people are going to lean towards being more apostolic. Mm. But part of this whole conversation around bivocational, co-vocational church planting, uh, I mean, I think anytime we talk about church planting, we have to talk about planting as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times we haven't done that. Uh, I planted a church pretty much just me, and, and you guys probably have too. Yeah. Because back in the day, we just didn't talk enough about team. Mm. But around bivocational, co-vocational planting, it's absolute necessity that we have to plant as a team. And when I talk about church planting as a team, uh, I want to talk about APEST. I mean, a lot of times when we talk about church planting teams, it's funny, we think of ministry categories. So it's like, okay, well, I need a team. So I need to find a youth pastor and I need to find a worship leader and I need yeah. to find a children's person. But uh, those are all good things. But I want to say, no, when you think about a team, let's, as you just brought up, let's think about giftings. Mm. Because if you're more apostolic, if you are kind of the pioneering missionary, uh, you need a shepherd teacher. Yeah, uh, You need someone that's more evangelistic. You probably need someone that has kind of a prophetic kind of edge to them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's a good point. But I think when we talk about church planting, we need to talk about teams and incorporating all of those gifts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a card carrying member of the team church planting club now. I've definitely come to you know have a, a deep conviction that that's the way that we should be planting churches. I think it's pretty clear. Uh, at least I see it in the Absolutely. Bible pretty clearly. 
And I've learned, I think, the hard way in some in some ways of what it what it can be like when you're not truly doing team church planning, and it it really can be difficult and presents a lot of challenges. And so, like I've already said, you know, like in the future, you know, any church planning endeavors I may be involved in, it's going to be team church planning. Mm-hmm. Like we'll never do what we did the first time again. Like me and my wife have like, no, we're not doing this, you know, the same way again. Um, and I think that, like. Brad, maybe you can speak into this. I I personally think that one of the uh, the hindrances that's keeping us maybe from embracing co-vocational and bivocational church planting more is because we still haven't made that shift to a team church planting mindset. Because I think it's a monumental task to expect someone who is, who has a full time job to do what we traditionally look to lead church planters to do, right? We use this language, you know, like lead church planter, uh, you know, it's very centered on lead a pastor. A, a, yeah. Big, pa- yeah. Big pastor. It's very centered on a, a large production on Sunday mornings. And so for, for a leader who has the time and the, you know, the, the, the skill to be able to manage all that, I mean, it's, that's a, that's a tough ask for somebody who's working a full-time job as say a doctor or a financial planner or a, a you know, a, a contractor or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I think, uh, especially with bivo co-vocational church planting, uh, there's just no way that you can plant the church that you see down on the corner. You know, you can't plant, you can't plant a church with a large launch kind of Sunday morning service model mm-hmm. that we have to go about it at more from a missionary perspective. But the, the other thing that I would say is, uh, and this is a little bit idealistic, but my perfect case scenario of what this would look like would be that you would have three or four co-vocational couples and three or four co-vocational singles that would go together to plant a church. So just think about think about the relational capital that those two or three or four couples or two or three or four singles would have when they all had a calling in the marketplace. I mean, can you imagine the relational connections they would have? Mm-hmm. And then think about the financial uh, resources they would have available. Uh, if they were all in the marketplace, but think that, that let's say every one of them, you know, even if they work 30, 40, 50 hours a week in the marketplace, if they could say, look, we know we can give eight hours or 10 hours a week to a church plant. If they could all con- commit to that, I just, I think that's, for me, that's a perfect case scenario. That's, that's, that's my ideal uh, picture in the future is that we are sending out co-vocational teams of couples and singles um, that can give eight, 10, 12 hours a week towards a church plant. They're gifted around kind of a five-fold APES team model. Mm. Uh, I just think that's the most sustainable um, and, and probably most effective type of, of church planning that we can do in the future. Man, yeah. I, I completely agree. The, we, I, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever advocate another way to plant churches outside of like a team but but Brad, man, I'm just curious. Like, how, how did we get here in the first place? Number one, how did we get here in the first place? And I know it's a super loaded question, and we only have so much time. But how did we get here in the first place, where everything is built around like the CEO superstar type, and he's got to be fully funded. He's got to have all kinds of mega church connections if he's going to plant a place like Toronto or Boston or New York City from the Bible Belt or whatever it might be. How did we get here? Number one, and then I know you unpack this greatly in your books and your works, which we're going to connect our listeners to, but man, how do we just begin to advocate this model where 
you're an apostle type, you're a prophet type, you're an evangelist type, you're a shepherd type, you're a teacher type, like, and we're all doing this together. We're all doing it as a team. And it's not based upon on this one guy where everybody wants to listen to him preach and everybody wants to follow him. Right. Like, so that those are my two things. And then we'll go from there. So we got about two hours to unpack that. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Yeah. So I would say, first off, I think more theoretically or kind of overarching the way we've got here is it, it, the, the way I would frame it is I would say we have lost the missionary nature of the church mm. that I, I would say we have a misguided view of the nature and essence of the church. So that's kind of the, the more overarching. Practically speaking, I think the way we've gotten here is four decades of church growth mentality. Yeah. I mean, really for yeah. almost five decades of church growth mentality. So what I mean by that, and, you know, there's a lot of really good things that came out of the church growth movement. Sure. Um, sometimes I'll say it like this, the church growth, growth movement helped us do church better in the box. Yeah. And for goodness sake, we needed to do church better in the box. Yeah. But now living in a very, in an increasing missionary context, and I mean, no one understands that better than you guys in Toronto, that we live in a missionary context, we can no longer think that we can just, you know, do church in such a way on Sunday mornings and track people to cross over certain cultural barriers to come be with us. It just, we don't live there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the way we've gotten there is that we've, we've had this mindset of church growth that was really about the Sunday morning worship service. It's funny, just last night I was having a conversation with someone about this. And I still remember when I planted a church, gosh, now it's been 25 years ago. I, I just didn't have an imagination to plan a church any other way than yeah. to start with a Sunday morning worship service. Yeah. I mean, no one told me that I actually needed to think and act like a missionary and I needed to train everyone else to think and act like a missionary. Mm. And I still remember one of the books that, I mean, I read two or three times. It was called, uh, it, was, it was something like, and this might've been the subtitle, but it was a book that was published by Willow Creek, but it was called The Most Important Hour. Yeah. And the whole book was about the fact that the most important 60 minutes of the week mm. is that Sunday morning worship service. Wow. And I just, you know, I took that all in hook, line and sinker. And, yeah. and that's what we did. I tried to make that one hour worship experience, you know, make that the focal point. Mm. Uh, and again, you know, there may have been a day 20 years ago, 30 years ago that, you know, we lived in a, in a context, uh, that was not completely post-Christian or post-Christendom. And, and some people might've crossed some of those cultural barriers, but we just don't live there anymore. Yeah. And so we have to shift from really, unfortunately, I say the vast majority of people in North America, they understand the churches of vendor, religious goods and services Yeah, that we need to shift from that church being a place where certain things happen to actually being the called and sent people of God. So we need to recapture the missionary nature of the church. Man, that's good. For Jared unpacks this, you know, I was on sabbatical last year, took my first sabbatical, and I literally had a conversation with a mega church pastor who expressed that same uh, that same thought, that this is the most important thing we do. So for our listeners that say like, man, I'm glad we're beyond that. We, we live in that world still. I mean, we're still in that world, in my opinion, where so many people, they still think that way. They still think that the Sunday morning gathering is the most important hour of your week as a church. And that's still how you're going to reach lost people. That's still how you're going to be on mission. That's still how you're going to engage the harvest. And so I don't think we're out of that by no stretch of the imagination. 
Right. And, you know, I'd want to be clear to say, look, I'm not diminishing the Sunday gathering. Not. We, I, The way I'll say it all the time is we are a gathered and scattered people. Absolutely. We are a called and sent people. Of course, we will gather. But the reason we gather and what we do when we gather, I think, will be, in a sense, repurposed when we actually recapture the missionary nature of the church. Mm -hmm. And Matt, I agree with you 100 percent. Still, sometimes the way I'll say it is that Christendom still maintains a stranglehold on the church. Mm -hmm. In other words, lots of people in the church still think we live in a Christian culture. They still think that if we just you know, get the right worship music or preach the, the right sermon series or have the best church sign, that people are going to show up. Uh, and once again, that, that's why one of the paradigm shifts I think most people in our churches need to, to experience is the fact that we we have shifted from, a, you know, a place of Christendom to post-Christendom. Yeah. Because until we fully understand that, we'll just be incapable of making the necessary changes. We'll just think if we just tweak what we do on Sunday morning. Um, but it's not hard to, you know, again, even though there's people that still think that, it's, it's not hard to get them to think differently because, uh, you know, all you have to do is look at all the indicators. I yeah. mean, it doesn't matter what indicator you look at to judge church health or church growth. They are all trending in the wrong direction. Yeah. I don't care if it's attendance or baptism or, or financial giving or biblical literacy, or it just doesn't matter what the stat is that you look at. They're all moving in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. So if they are, we have to ask ourselves, is there an issue with the, the way, you know, the way we think of church? Is there an issue the way we live out the life of the church? Mm -hmm. And I would That's argue good. that there is. That's good. Yeah. So, um, Brad, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, I know you said that the Sunday morning gathering, you know, like there's still a place for it and things like that. And I, I guess one of my questions for you would be, uh, how can you continue to have a Sunday morning gathering? Cause I know, I mean, there's a lot of people who are advocating for moving away from Sunday morning gatherings, you know, in, in certain contexts, I know some personally who are, you know, really strongly pushing in the, you know, a house church, you know, movement, um, strictly is, you know, how do you continue to have Sunday morning gatherings without automatically falling into that mindset that we're talking about where, that becomes the focus and mm. it, it, that's where all the, the energy it's where all the, the, uh, the thinking's going towards where all the resources are going. Um, how do you do that? Well, yeah, it's the gravitational pull or the, sometimes the phrase we'll use sometimes is the muscle memory that mm -hmm. just sucks you back into thinking that it's all about Sunday morning is extremely strong. Yeah. So you just, you know, we have to constantly be reminding ourselves, but man, there's so much in what you just said, Jared. I mean, it's like in an existing congregation where the focal point's always been Sunday morning. Um, I would never say stop doing Sunday morning, right. but slowly over time, I think we can kind of repurpose what we do on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And here, here's what I mean by it. I mean, Sunday morning historically in this church growth mindset was really about creating consumable goods mm -hmm. and trying to attract people to our gatherings, mm -hmm. our church programs and activities to kind of consume of those consumable goods. But I would say, ultimately, of course, we still gather. But ultimately, I would say we gather to do two things. We gather to celebrate what God's doing the rest of the week. But we also gather to be equipped to be sent back out. That's so good. So, so of course, we still gather. But then I would say, if I was talking to a church planter, I would just say, look, in a post-Christian, post-Christian context, you just better not start with a Sunday morning worship service. Right. 
I would say start with missionary behaviors and activities. Right. And in a, you know, a sense, in a way, you can kind of back your way into the other expressions of church. Yeah. So, and then the reality is with church planters, there's a gathering, but that might not mean it's a gathering of 200 people for 60 minutes on a Sunday morning. Mm. You know, so a lot of times I'll actually use the language of biblical community that it's crystal clear that as followers of Jesus, we need to be involved in biblical community. But that might not equate to an hour on Sunday morning with, you know, it was in a gathering of 500 people. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Does. I think we need to be careful not to, you know, equate those two things together necessarily. Yeah. Absolutely biblical community, but different people will define biblical community differently. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, you, you said something earlier. You said you started your church 25 years ago and you just didn't know anything. I remember, you know, we, we started six years ago and uh, five years ago, now and uh i remember when we started the our church plant like we you know we had this dream of sunday morning just being an overflow of what took place through the rest of the week and that was like the dream but when that didn't happen like the we felt the pressure you know like we felt the grip started to squeeze and partners asking like what, what are you running how many people are you connecting with how many baptisms this kind of stuff and then we pushed into the sunday morning gathering we did previews and we launched tra- traditionally the traditional kind of church planning timeline that's been taught in North America. And like, we praise God for everything he's done and all that kind of stuff. But, but maybe speaking to the listener that feels like, Oh yeah, it's easy for you to say, like you're a paid missiologist. You know, we, we throw these, we talk about these things, but man, like I know Jared and I, we talk about this all the time in in our micro network on the East end of Toronto. We talk about this at the fellowships all the time that the price is not worth it. it. It, I mean, what we're paying on the front end to launch those services, to send out a newsletter with a crowd of people in a gym, it's not worth it ultimately to the kingdom of God. We're damaging the kingdom of God because, you know, we're launching with 150 in the room. The next Sunday we got 30 in the room and we're like, what happened? And, right. and so, man, what do, what do we do with the, how do you speak into the, pl- the planner who's listening to this? That's feeling that tension of saying like, man, like I see that now. Like I'm on the other side of it. I see the mistakes I've made. What do I do to start to fix this? Yeah, gosh, what a enormous kind of, yeah, just there's so many issues again, related to what you just brought up, Matt. I mean, it is kind of the elephant in the room that when we start with a Sunday morning worship service with with a fully funded dude that knows he's got funding for two years, maybe three years, that he might start out as a missionary and engage in his neighborhood and his workplace and social spaces about a year into it, a year and a half into it, he starts to see funding. You know, he, he can kind of see the the end of funding stream. Yeah. And the the natural default then is to focus on Sunday morning and to and it, and what happens, unfortunately, and it sounds negative, but it's just like I say, it's the elephant in the room. Yeah. That planter will often move from thinking like a missionary and engaging lost people to try and attract Christians to to make that church plant sustainable. Because mm. it's like, you know what, I better get some tithing Christians a part of this deal. Yeah. And th- the only way you're going to do that in most cases is with the full-blown Sunday morning worship experience. Yeah. So that's why I'm convinced a, a huge piece of the solution is Bible co- co-vocational yeah, church planning. Absolutely. We do not have enough money to plant all the churches that we need to plant. The mm-hmm. only way we're going to plant in very expensive cities, the only way we're going to plant a, a, in in you know very impoverished parts of our cities that where there's never going to be a full you know financial package for a church planter is to do it with bivocational co-vocational planters. Mm-hmm. And then also with a co-vocational planter, 
there isn't that financial strain. There isn't that, you know, the funding's going to run that run out because there may not be any funding or, right. or the funding's very small. Yeah. So I just, I, I just couldn't be more convinced that a huge piece of the solution is, is Bivocovo. And I would say for guys that are already in it, you know, and, and maybe they're listening to this and they're kind of struggling. It's like, Hey, I'm not a co-vocational guy. I started this way. Well, if you're not Bivo, you might consider what are some other things that you could do mm. to bring some financial stability into, into your family. Mm. Uh, but then the other thing I would say is you, you got to find some other guys that are doing similar things yeah. And, yeah. And, and walk together kind of in a sense of community and find, you know, guys like you and, and others that could, that get what you're trying to do um, and, and let them coach you and let them walk alongside and, and be an encouragement. Uh, now, unfortunately, again, I think in your setting, just because you guys live in a very post-Christian context, mm. there's probably lots of people that get it. But unfortunately, there's some places that, uh, you know, your supervisor or your coach might be someone that may actually be asking the wrong questions. You know, they want to know well, how many people are showing up on mm. Sunday. And, yeah. you know, if that's the case, I, I would try to find another kind of coach that, that you could have these conversations with. Word. But then also, I tell you, I would even try to start to shift that coach's perspective a little bit, maybe share a resource with them and kind of seed an idea in them, you know, yeah. to help them kind of see why you, you know, struggling with a certain model that, that maybe, you maybe, know, maybe you feel some, like you're tied to. Maybe email them a copy of rethink that uh, on PDF yeah, form. Right. Right. Hint, hint, hint. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe not, but I would, but I would find something that you thought would resonate and just Absolutely. go to that person and say, look, Hey, I've been reading this. It's kind of jacking with me in a good way. Yeah. You know, I, I respect your opinion and input, you know, would you read this and can we talk about it? Because again, there, unfortunately, there's just not a lot of people that think this way. I mean, right. because we just haven't had the imagination mm -hmm. to think outside the kind of Christian bubble that so much of our mission and ministry is, has been captured in. Yeah. Um, but we, we have to, because again, t things, things are a changing <laughs> Man. and we need, and we need to be yeah. prepared for those changes. Yeah. Hey, Brad, I'm curious to hear your take on this. How, how much do you think pride comes into play mm. in keeping us from really moving towards bivocational and co-vocational church questions? Yeah, it's absolutely an issue. I mean, Absolutely. Um, and I'll tell you, here's, here's a little phrase I'll use with planters all the time. It, when we talk about calling, I'll say this, I'll say, be sure you're not called to a job description, mm -hmm. but instead be called to a place or a people. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I I'm guilty of this. I remember again, 25 years ago, I just thought, you know, what, being a church planter would be pretty cool. Yeah. It seems to be a cool thing. I, you know, and in fact, I'm afraid there's too many of our planters that, kind of see it as a business startup. Yeah. It's kind of like, Hey, this is my way to kind of start my own thing, you know, and, and it's okay to be entrepreneurial, but you just gotta, I think all of our planters, we need to check our motives and why we're getting into this deal. You know, is it because, so I can be the lead dude, you know, mm -hmm. is it because, cause I want to stand up and preach on Sunday. So I'll say, look, you better make sure you're not called to a job description that that is church, just be a church planter, but be called to a, to a people group or be called to a place. And here's the follow-up to that. that I think is important. If we try to get people to follow our calling, if it's to follow us, 
Yeah. Eventually we're going to disappoint them or make them mad. And yeah. if, and if they're called to us, they're going to leave, right? Mm -hmm. We've all experienced that. Mm -hmm. But if we make sure that they're called to the same place or the same people group, when we do disappoint or make them mad, if they're truly called to that same place that we're called to, mm -hmm. they ought to stay because yeah. it's not about us. It's not about, you know, the, the lead church planner dude, but instead it's, a, they're called to that place or that people group. So, yeah, I do. I think you're right on. There's, you know, and we, I think we need to have serious conversations about, yeah, what are our motives? Yeah. What, why, why do we want to be a church planter? Is it because I kind of like the quote unquote job description? Um, or is it because I, I have a passion for a certain place or a certain people group? Mm -hmm. Man, that's, that's, that's really good. I, you know, what do we do, Brad, with like, so I, I have this thought a lot, you know, cause I, I'm, we're fully on board with like APEST and team church planting and co-vocational planting. Cause man, I've seen it, you know, in five years I've seen, I've seen the the struggles and all those kinds of things. What do we do though? In when we see in that traditional model, when we look back on like the John Wesley's of the world, the Charles Spurgeon's of the world, the Billy Graham's of the world, where, where they were in that more. And of course, Billy Graham's was in, you know, parachurch ministry evangelism, whatever. But what do we do with these men and, and, and women where God just anointed them? God put his hand on them and he gave them a platform. And there's to Jared's point, those there's those young planters and they think, well, like maybe God's going to do that with my life. Like maybe I'm going to be that that guy. And like there's is there is there room for that? I mean, in, in this co-vocational model, in this APES model for the, the communicator, you know, to, to have that platform and all that kind of stuff, or just very candidly, does that stuff need to die? And we need to re-examine what God's anointing looks like on a brother or sister. Well, I think, sure. That, you know, it's not an either, or I do think there's a place for it, but we would all, you know, we kind of, we'd probably chuckle at it, but there aren't very many Billy Grahams. Of right? course not. Yeah. I mean, there weren't very many Charles Spurgeons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would never want to like completely disregarded, you know, that, that, God anoints certain people, you know, in a, in just incredible, amazing ways, but you know, <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. No. Um, and then I would say without a doubt, we have to have the gift of the teacher, but that doesn't mean it has to be a person standing on a stage talking to 500 people on yeah. a Sunday morning necessarily. Yeah. Right. And again, not that I, I really do think this, this is a both and this isn't an either or. Right conversation but i think with church planters i would say just be careful where you start yeah um but so yeah no i think there's yeah there's a place for that but um but also we just have to i don't know i just think we have to like guard our hearts mm. as relates to uh again kind of our motives you know i i, I still remember eugene peterson i think this was actually a, like a cd or, or a talk that i was listening to at one point I, a little phrase he said, I think about it every single day. He says, the ways of Jesus are local and ordinary. Wow. Amen. So, hmm. but we don't, sometimes we don't like that. We, mm. we, we want to be involved in the spectacular and the big, yeah. right? Um, but the ways of Jesus are local and ordinary. I mean, if we're really, really following the ways of Jesus, yeah. um, you know, we're, it's going to be local mm. and it, and, and 99% of the time it's going to be ordinary. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we're going to, we're going to seek the welfare of the city, uh, in the places that he has sent us. And, and really I, I would argue that's the way the kingdom takes root. Yeah. It's just living normal everyday 
citizenship, you know, citizens of the king yeah. in the places, you know, where we live, where we work and, and where we hang out. Um, so good. So I, so I think we, you know, I just think those, if we have those sorts of conversations consistently with church planters, um, you know, it still leaves room for some kind of special anointing, but hmm. that's not going to be, that's not going to be most of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think the key is too is like you know, and if you are that guy who's on a stage of preaching a five hundred, whatever it is that you do, that whatever your ministry looks like, that all of it is leveraged towards movement. All of it is That's leveraged right. towards multiplication in your missional right. context. Like, That's what, are you, exactly what are you right. doing to expand the kingdom? So, like, if you're just a church, a big church, just like trying to get big and bloated, just to be a big church, like, what's the point? You know, right. That's it, exactly it, right. Yeah. It has to be on, on, uh, it has to be towards kingdom advancement. And if you're not, yep. then what are you doing? Yep. No, that's a good word. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brad. Um, so as you survey the state of the church as a whole in North America, uh, what is one thing that concerns you the most and one thing that encourages you the most? Well, it's still the concerning is, is what we've just been talking about. It's just the view that most people have of the church, mm-hmm. um, that the church is either a place where certain things happen. You know, it's this place we go to on Sunday morning for an hour yeah, or even worse than that. They they view the church as a vendor of religious goods and services. So, you know, it's about the preaching or it's about the children's ministry, their youth ministry. And we just are not activating all the people of God. We've, mm. you know, we talked a little bit about the the damaging effect of a sacred secular divide. Well, mm. I would say it's equally damaging is the clergy laity divide mm. that we have professionalized ministry. And I, you know, that whole clergy laity divide, I, I think it's of, it's of the devil. <laughs> I mean, mm. I really do. If you were the devil and you said, you know what, I want to short circuit the church what would be the first thing you would do? You'd say, you know what? I know what I'll do. Let's professionalize ministry. So there's really only like 2% that can actually do ministry and everyone else will just have them be passive and, and like sit and just, just listen. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've got to blow up the clergy lady divide. It doesn't mean there aren't leaders. There's certainly leaders, mm-hmm. but I just think the, one of the greatest issues is, is the activation of all, and it's yeah. capital A L L all the people of God. Mm-hmm. And I think part of doing that is this co-vocational uh, conversation. Yeah. And, and it's really, it's rethinking vocation in general to help yeah. people see how does their calling in the marketplace, uh, even if they don't plan a church, how does their calling in the marketplace fit into the mission of God? Mm-hmm. So we need to activate all the people of God. We need to help them see regardless of what God's called them to do. They are in full-time ministry. Yeah. You don't have to leave your vocation to be in ministry. You are in ministry regardless mm-hmm. of what God's called you to do. Mm-hmm. And then the encouragement is, uh, is, is just the, the frequency of these conversations, I guess. I mean, I still think, you know, 90% of the church in North America is still trying to, gather Christians together on, on Sunday morning. Um, but there is increasing number of conversations around, uh, we, some, something's different. We've got to do something different. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the way I'll frame that, I just kind of recognize, I was just thinking about this a few weeks ago. It, it, I, it seems like people are entering into this conversation, kind of the conversation we we're, we're having today from one of two directions. They either enter into it from what I would call a crisis of influence. Mm. What I mean by that, it's more of a pragmatic motivation. So in other words, I'll talk to leaders all all the time, especially from existing congregations. 
that will say, you know what, what, what we used to, what used to work just doesn't seem to work anymore. So they'll like give me an example and they'll say, you know, we used to do this one activity and we'd get 200 people to show up. And now if we do that exact same thing, 40 show up. Mm. So it's like something's changed. They can't put their finger on it. They don't know for sure what it is, but they wonder if this whole kind of like missional conversation has something to say to their challenge. And now usually it's like, so I wonder if that would help me grow my church again. So they enter into the conversation from more of a pragmatic perspective. And I've just, in my own head, I've just called that a crisis of influence. Mm. But the other way I see people entering into the conversation is what I would call a crisis of mission. What I mean by that is they have a check in their spirit. I mean, they know in their heart, something's just not right. Mm. I mean, they, they just, they have this sense and, and, and they're just struggling with what they see in the church in North America and what they see in Jesus. And they just see this chasm and they just know something's not right. Mm. Now, this is a generalization, but typically those that are entering into it from a crisis of influence are usually an older generation. They're more kind of the boomer, you know, they're more pragmatic. And again, this isn't always the case, but most of the time, those conversations I have with people that know something's just not right it's usually a younger generation. Yeah. It's a younger generation that just knows uh, that what they, the church that they see in North America, uh, they're just convinced it's not what Jesus had in mind. Mm-hmm. So I guess that the, the piece that's encouraging is I just see and hear more and more of those conversations every day. Mm-hmm. And I see people taking that seriously and, and there's examples of, of fresh expressions of the church that are actually uh, kind of getting at this from, from a different perspective rather than just focusing on a Sunday morning worship service. Man, that's awesome. You know, just he- hearing you talk just now, um, th- thinking about like the crisis that, uh, you know, I, I, I hear the same stuff, you know, from, from churches and pastors and stuff. And they, they're trying to figure out something's broken you know, and they, they think if I just do this right, or if I do that right, then it'll get back on the, it, they're, they're longing for the good old days and mm-hmm. uh, they're longing for the days, you know, uh, being the star quarterback at the high school level or whatever. And um, like those days aren't coming back and nope. all over the mountains. Yeah. I'm going to throw that football over the mountains, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like Brad, I mean, you know, we're, I think we're kind of, <laughs> this sounds so ridiculous because it's been in Ephesians four forever, but I feel like we're in the ground floor of these conversations and this generation. And man, just like real practically, maybe just speak into what does this look like for like the, the, the APES model and the, this point of crisis that these people are having, how does the APES model fix these things? And I know you unpack all this in your book, but like the guy is, is the guy supposed to spend like 20 hours a week preparing his sermon? Um, you know, on Sunday, is that okay if he is a shepherd teacher? Like, is it okay if he, I remember when I pastored at a church, the guy that, that was my, that I followed, you know, he, he was in the nursing home every single week for like two hours. He was like the ultimate capital S shepherd and I'm not. And so like, that was a hard act to follow. Is it okay for that guy to do that? Like, is it okay for the apostolic type to say, Hey, let's keep starting new churches. The prophet to say, Hey, we got to stay on mission. Like, how does all that work to meet that crisis? 
Yeah, so I'd say first off, it's not it's not complicated, but I but it's multifaceted. So okay. in other words, I think if somebody was in an existing congregation and they're struggling with all this, like you said, Matt, something's broken. They're not sure what to do with it. I do think APES is a part of the solution, but but that's just one piece of kind of this multifaceted puzzle. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's not complicated. It's just multifaceted. Yeah. So that's why it's like the rethink ebook. And man, there's a whole lot more that could have been said, but I was trying to keep that in to a hundred pages or less. Yeah. I just wanted to introduce some of those key paradigm shifts. And I think that's one of the paradigm shifts, but it, it can't be the only paradigm shift. And in fact, I would argue, I don't think it's the first one. I think this mm. whole missionary nature of the church is where we need to start because mm. I think it helps to inform all those other paradigm shifts. Yeah. But I think when it, but, but now let me back up to what you just, you know, bring up APEST. I think the key there is that first off, I, I think we, the first step for me, if, if I'm having a conversation around APEST from Ephesians 4 with someone, the first step is I want them to discern how are they wired? Mm. Because once they discover that, you know what, I, I realize I'm actually a shepherd. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm a high shepherd. Well, then that's why they struggle with starting new things. Mm. You know, that's why, you know, they, they want to care the, for the flock and they want to watch over people. And good grief, we have to have that. But, but if everyone, if you and everyone on your team is a shepherd, then you're never going to get outside, you know, the importance of biblical community. So I, the first thing I'd say is, look, you need to find out how you're wired. And then the second thing is you need to find out what's missing on your team, because if there's no apostolic influence on your team, kind of like in your leadership team, then it's always going to be a struggle for you to start other things, to yeah. start new small groups, to start missional communities, to plan a church. Um, and then the third thing I would say is, you know, you need to find out what's who's missing and then get them on the team. And then the third thing is we need to really, really learn how to listen to one another yeah. and to appreciate if I'm an apostolic, I need to learn to appreciate the giftings of the shepherd. And, and there's little exercises and things that we can do to do that. So we can really listen to one another because you know, the key to that Ephesians 4 passage is we will not reach the fullness of Christ. We will not reach maturity as a church if, if unless all five of those are fully functioning. That's right. And the reality is in most churches, we have the shepherd and we have the teacher mm. and we don't have the other ones. And I think it's pretty easy to point out the fact that that we are not experiencing the fullness of Christ. We're not mature. In fact, we're We've, we've got lots of issues, and I think a lot of those issues are because we don't have fully functioning teams mm. and we don't have fully functioning bodies. I mean, mm. we we haven't activated, you know, because the, the, for me, the key to that text is we've always in, interpreted that text as a leadership text. It's actually a body text. Mm -hmm. So those are gifts given to the body. Yeah. So let's figure out how do we activate the gifts of everyone in the body mm. so we can experience the fullness the fullness of Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's, you know, Alan Hirsch, you know, was who I learned that from, you know, originally. He really kind of helped drive that home for me. And, hmm. you know, um, I, I was first introduced to the to the concept by Peyton Jones uh, in his book, Church Zero, which really mm -hmm. kind of like was a just a world rocker for me. I was like, whoa, like, because you were talking earlier about the young guys, right, who are restless and something's not right. That was me eight years <clears> ago. <throat> I, I became a Christian nine years ago. And I remember, you know, right after that, kind of 
you know, getting into, you know, uh, into, you know, getting back involved in church. Cause I went some when I was a kid and looking around and I'm reading my Bible and I'm reading the book of Acts and I'm looking around and going, hold on a second. Like something's not right, but I didn't know what, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I didn't know any right. better. So I couldn't put my finger on it. And God graciously, you know, brought people into my life who showed me, mm-hmm. uh, and, and here I am today, uh, kind of, you know, championing the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that, um, that's yeah, such a, a critical insight, you know, that we've got to learn to see that, that, that Ephesians four is talking about a body thing. And, and another, right. another important thing too, um, this is, I'm going to write this book one day. And so nobody steal this book idea, but I, I always see this, uh, what I call the pendulum effect and, uh, you know, all throughout ministry where we'll see a problem and we'll create an equal and opposite problem going the other direction to <clears throat> address it. And, um, my fear is that you know we're we've had this um, basically uh, this shepherd teacher driven model for so long where the apes have kind of been shoved off to the side and they found themselves in parachurch ministries because there's no space for them in the church um, and but my fear is that uh, I'm already seeing a lot of examples where now we are having apes who are going off and you know, wanting to start networking, and they're shoving out the shepherd teachers and, mm. you know, it's becoming all about multiply, multiply, multiply as fast as we can. And we don't stop and think about, okay, well, what are we multiplying? And, you know, like, are we, you know, making sure that, you know, these church planners are, you know, you know, doctrinally sound or are they being built up? And so, I don't know, I just wanted to uh, kind of throw that in there because I think it kind of plays off of your point of why, you know, it's important to have all five, uh, of the, uh, of the giftings yeah, uh, in the body absolutely. being having equal, um, I don't know, I have parts to play, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. And if we just stay rooted in that Ephesians four passage, I, I hope we can keep from what, you know, creating another set of problems yeah. as you just raised that we need to see it's a fivefold, you know, fully functioning where it's not about diminishing the shepherd teacher. It's about raising the other three. Mm. That's right. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. That's right. Well guys, um, so, uh, Brad, first of all, I just want to thank you for coming on, man. Absolutely. Uh, it's been awesome it's good to be with you. And, uh, I know that, uh, this will be extremely beneficial to all of our listeners and, um, uh, listeners, Brad and the sin network are putting out tons of incredible material and it's online for free. That's the best part about it. Uh, so he's got two free eBooks right now that we're going to have a link to in the show notes. Uh, one is called rethink. Uh, we've been talking about that one a little bit in the episode and the other one is called co-vocational church planting. Uh, you can download those today. Uh, and he also blogs regularly at missionalchurchnetwork.com. And so you can go uh, check out his blog and you can continue to, to get great content. Uh, they're doing some awesome things. Uh, we'll have a link up for that as well in the show notes. So make sure you head on over and check that out. And we want to thank you, our listeners, for uh, uh, listening again today. Uh, and we will be back next Monday with another episode. Make sure you head on over to www.getinthetrenches.com and you can find links to our other episodes. Uh, we have a blog post every single week uh, that coincides with the episodes that we uh, put out. And we've got our free ebook, which is a um, uh, 30 free uh, or 30 of the best church planter quotes, 30 of our favorite church plant planter quotes. Uh, that we have uh, kind of put together and you can get that for free by signing up for our newsletter uh, and you can find that on the homepage of our website. Uh, well, guys, hope you have a great week. We will be back next Monday with another episode. So until then, go out there and get in those trenches, church planners. Church planners.